Good morning. This is Gaming Perspectives with Saul and Jolene. And today we are talking about Helping RPG Immersion. And this is Saul's title, so... It's a working title. It's a working title. <laughs> what are we talking about? Immersion, right? When you run a RPG, what are things you can do to get your players... Usually the GM does all this work, right? Into what, the game? Into the game, right? In the mood of the game, in the, in the feel of the game... What can you do to do that? So I usually don't do this, but I'm going to tell you a story. Uh-oh. So Saul and I get up at <laughs> 5.45 in the morning to do this podcast. And when I got up this morning, my alarm went off and I heard somebody screaming outside. And I was like, okay, well, that's early. Either they're on their way home or something weird is going on. So I get up. I go and make my coffee. I go outside to throw out the coffee grounds. And I do this and... I looked down the street going, I wonder, because I was looking for the newspapers and I'm all, I wonder if, if what's going on. And I see the lady in white literally walking down the street next to the cars. I go inside. I close the door. I go, Saul, you got to see this. <laughs> He's all, I go, the lady in white is outside. He goes, I'm not opening the door. <laughs> Why would I want to open the door? He goes, open the door and look. I go, oh, no. Why would I want that to do? So then I go over to the kitchen sink and I look out the window and she's sitting on the ground. So I had to call Saul over and I go, I'm not seeing things, right? She's this lady. And he goes, he says she has on a white sweater, right? Yes. And she has this long it looks dark because it's it's in the dawn right the gloaming so i'm like is she real is she not real and he goes yes i see her and i go okay and then i see a guy with a dog started to talk to her and then we proceed from there and Sal goes to open the door because he's curious and he sees her walking across the street he goes okay they walk they're they're gone it's okay they're leaving, yes. and i hear this scream and yes. i'm like okay so if you're talking about immersion, real life events can do that, right? Or, you know, things that you watch and on TV, different stories oh, yeah. and stuff. But then when things that you see that remind you of, you know, the crazy, the woman from The Ring, this is what this girl looks like. So different <laughs> ideas, different things like that. You could tell your people a story to get them into the game, right? People, things yeah, that people know that. and stuff like that. That had not entered into my notes. Yeah, you're right. So that was just what happened this morning. And... <laughs> I just thought it was really weird. Now I've shared it with you. And it kind of went with the episode that Saul wanted to do. You could tell a story, which is very good for opening scene, you know, type of thing. But I actually, my notes, I had that, that happened today and obviously didn't enter into my notes. What I was thinking is practical things that you could do at the table that you, usually the GM, right? The GM is the one that's concerned about immersion. Usually players are a little bit, but it depends on what. It depends on the players. It depends on the players, but definitely the GM is usually the one that wants to invoke a certain aspect or a certain uh, tone of the game. So wants people to feel like they're there, right? I'm thinking something cheap and easy that you can do, right? (laughs) Cheap and easy. Cheap and easy. First thing is Character sheets, right? If you have a pretty cool character sheet that invokes the the feeling of the game or the setting of the game. So you're not necessarily talking about a campaign setting that you're playing every week with your friends? Uh, no, not necessarily because you know, uh, I, usually this seems to be... Uh, I really pull out more stops for my con games than I do at than my home games, right? Because my home games, I could, I could throw up... All he has to do is put a mat on the, yeah, on on the, the table thing and, and, yeah. and pens and everybody's happy. Right, right. And I think... You're not trying to draw them in because whatever you say to them, they're going to go with. That's true. Even though I guess if I really wanted to 
making more role players that would do things that would bring that out of them. So this is mainly for con games or situations where you know you want to make a good first impression as far as getting your players. It might be your first game, or it might be the game. It might be your home game too. So the so the easiest thing is if they if they give you the if they make their own characters, you can ask for the character sheets, and you can make homemade character sheets or do something a little bit something different. Something creative. Do something with those character sheets that that will invoke or give you the feeling of, of whatever your world or universe you're playing in. So this involves time on the GM's it is, part. It is time. It might be time consuming, but it's not very expensive, right? So one of the things I do with character sheets that I've been doing for, for a very long time is I I put the character sheets in a portfolio, right? You know, like a, a folder of some type. When he says he's been doing this for a long time, he means since he was a teenager. Well, no, I would say since about over 20 years, since yes. I was running to space opera. Yeah. DungeonCon. Well, what that does is, uh, one, I don't have to f- look for the character sheets unless I forget them, which I think one time I did and Jolene came home and got them for me. But uh, but you, you, you got your, you know, huge bundle of, uh, large bundle of characters in inside these folders. And what I do with the folders is I, not only do I just put the character sheet in, but I usually put a little piece of paper, like scratch paper. I put in notes for like, you know, like, light notes that would tell you cheat sheets for the how to play the game usually when i was running space opera almost nobody had ever played space opera so i definitely need to put little cheat sheets in on definitely what dice to roll and how things work whether and then you'd have to explain it anyway well i would explain it anyway but whether players would look at that and and read it and actually know it or learn it you know that was it, i just wanted it in there for a little just in case people wanted to read it you not only did that, but you also, after a while, started leaving the notes that other characters had in there. Yes. Which was interesting because then you would pick up a, a character, a little folder. little folder, and you would see what other people had done with yes. the character. So that made because people write weird notes during games, right? Yes. Yeah, so some people like some people some actually are cryptic. Re- you don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> so well, most times I don't think I saw anything cryptic, but there were like notes about the game, like simple notes or. This person is doing this. We think this person is doing that. You know, that kind of thing. I, which I didn't realize was really doing because I just collected the things and put them. And then one person wrote a nice, uh, wrote, but drew a figure of themselves, of their character, which was like, it was a space opera. So they were like a cat person. And it was really neat. I mean, it was really well done. And so when the next person goes, hey, that's a nice drawing. I go, yeah, that is because it wasn't <laughs> me. Right. Everybody had, you know, different notes and different. And back then I ran a game, uh, a different game every time. So there was only one time where I actually had to take the notes out because it was the same scenario scenario that I was running. And that was in another game, though. That was in the... Tecamo? No, that was in neither Tecamo or, or Dresden Files. I would leave the notes. So when new char- when new players played it, they'd go, oh, so they'd say, oh, so he goes, there's notes in here already. Oh, I go, yeah, they're, they're the same characters I've been running. Space Opera. Space Opera was a real long one for years. And they're like, oh, and so they were like, wow, so this character has history, right? Something... I didn't just make it yesterday and put it in a, in a folder. You know, they had, and some of them had like multiple different hands of handwriting. So there was like one had like four different notes for four different people. You could tell that they were different people because their handwriting was very distinct. And then some people would ask for the same character. Like if they played before, they were like really excited when they got their character. And oh, somebody played my character, you know, and stuff like that. When they missed a, a year that they hadn't played with my game. In my game, character sheets can be really cool, right? And for example, space opera, the folders I use in the different command colors, I mean, colors of the different commands, like red for command, 
Uh, Are you talking about Star Trek? Star Did Trek. you switch? You uh, said space opera. Did I say space opera? I mean, Star Trek. Star Trek. So okay. when I run a Star Trek Saul, game, Saul's going to go through the colors and he gets very confused. So I'll help him out <laughs> so if you So how about it. this? So I'm going to say them really slow. So okay. Jenny can, when I start making a mistake, he can like give me a dirty look. For example, uh, I get the different colors that they use in Star Trek, the command structure. Red, right? gold, and blue. Red, red. Oh, I say yellow, but okay, gold. Red is command, like yes. the, the captain. And, From Star know, Trek, the next generation first, forward. Yes, yes, yes for, you're right. Because they keep changing it. Those no, they, they only changed it once. Well, I think they kind of changed it. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But uh, since I'm playing the next generation, I'm using those colors, right? So science and, and medical, medical is blue. Mm-hmm. And uh, engineering, engineering and, and, security. and security is yellow. Gold, yes. Gold, yellow. People have played Star Trek. Or or fans of the show, or show up at your game and a show certain up at my color game uniform, and they see the and, and, and they see the different colors of the folders, and they go, oh, "Why are the different? Does the color of the folder mean anything?" I say, "Oh, there's the different commands." And like, and immediately, if they're fans, they're like, "Oh, yeah," and so that puts them in a little bit more in the mood. Although I, you don't have to do much to put Star Trek fans in the mood to play okay, Star Trek. That's fine. That's true. And then, or you can go like, I have a friend uh, who's a really great. GM called Gil, and he for his World War Two uh, one roll engine. Uh, I forget what the name of the game is, but uh, he makes a character sheet that looks like a passport, and it's really really well done. And I always ask him, "Hey man, what do you use to make this awesome character sheets?" Because he does them for all kinds of different games. He has Trail of Cthulhu and this and that, and they're all period specific. Call of Cthulhu. Trail of Cthulhu. Oh, so one. that's a different one. And okay. Call of Cthulhu is another game. But he makes different, uh, they, they look like passports or they look like something weird from the, from that era. Something you'd find like, I think passports is pretty cool. In this passport from World War II, there's all kinds of stamps from different countries he's been at and or the character. And then there's a picture, there's vital statistics, and then there's a, a picture of the, of the character, right? So that's pretty cool. And that's something, you know, depending on your skill and how much time you have, you know, yeah, you could really, as soon as the per- person sits down, they see these character sheets. They're really, you know, starting to get into the, what, in the mood. Not only that, you also use uh, photos that you, in picture frames to either of famous people or well, random that's, people. Well, that's another thing that you can do, right? Uh, so what I do, I, I go to, me and Jolene go to like the dollar store, get these little plastic frames. and Don't tell all our secrets. No. Well, that's not much of a secret. And what I do is I get pictures off the internet. Uh, usually I don't like using real actors because they're so uh, recognizable. But I use, you know, different people in costumes or in whatever genre specific garb they're wearing. And for Star Trek, I just did a Star Trek internet search or Google search. And that was pretty cool because I got all kinds of different people, you know, usually cosplayers, a lot of cosplayers. And it was pretty cool. I thought it was really neat. When you do it for D and D, it's mostly drawings. Yes, some people use, but you could use actual. You can find some some pictures, actual people, yeah, but yeah. actors and yeah. stuff like that. That's really something easy you can do is the character sheets. And it makes people feel pictures. It makes people. I don't know about immersion, but it gives them a good feeling when they sit down and they have a picture of who they're playing, and the and a sheet, right? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It gives them a starting point, a jumping off point. Okay, so another thing I do is I have a a generic. Uh, what is it? A screen. GM screen. Now, I don't even really use the GM screen to like, other than maybe hide my notes. And I don't. He doesn't even do that. I don't even do that. You know, usually it's just on a on a on a folder, and I can flip it back and forth. He's on a everybody need to know basis, and everybody needs to know that he's not cheating or something like that. 
I don't roll behind right. the screen is what I'm saying. So I have this this trifold generic GM screen that I don't use for hiding behind my the, the screen. I usually stand up when I run games and I and I roll dice in the open. But what I can do is I can put pictures in, you know, they have you no know, sl- plastic sleeves where you can put the pictures or any pictures you want. And what I do is depending on what game I'm running, I put pictures like the Star Trek, I put different pictures of Star Trek scenes or spaceship, spaceships and stuff like that. With the character sheets and the pictures in the, in the plastic frames and my GM screen, when people come to the table, they're like, oh, this is this Star Trek game. And, you know, and they get into that Star Trek feeling, the mood, right. whatever you want to call it. And when you point out which ship they're going to be on or different right. things like that, that is even better right away they know they're in a star trek game just by looking at the table yes all you're missing are communicators that they can each put on their shirts (laughs) well i'm not gonna go that far but i I, at one point i did make i did make uh what do you call it uh i think uh, that's a good idea i'll do that for you next time i did i did no i I don't know i did make uh what is it called uh the badge the 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 badge but not it wasn't a badge it was a it was a piece of paper that, you know, what do you call them? You know, when you go to meetings, oh, hello, name my name tags. name tags. Those paper name tags you stick. So on it, what I did is I, I made and put the name on it. And each one, I gave I gave it that Star Trek emblem. That's what I was talking about. So it kind of looked like a... A communicator. It kind of, yeah, it kind of looked like... From the, oh, the next is that, generation. Is it a communicator? Yes. I thought it was just a pin that they had. Oh, my God. Whatever. And then what that does is that not only did they ha- not have to look at the picture frame to see who they were, but they could talk to the person and then just look down at the And use the actual player name. And, and, oh, the player name or the character name. That's what I meant. The I'm character. sorry, character name. The character name. And so when they when they were interacting with each other in role playing, they could just look at the name tag without having, oh, what's your name again? You know, that kind of thing. And so it really worked really Which good. Which is a big deal when you're playing a game because, especially if it's a new game, because... The first thing I always do is write down everybody's name, yes, the character name, and I try to use the character name. Right. I don't know. I think other people do the same thing. I know my friend Kathy does the same thing. That's the first thing we do when people go around and introduce their characters. Because using the character name does bring you into the game, right? Because then you're playing with that character, right. not just the person. Yeah, 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 exactly. Helping immersion. Yes, dear. Yes, dear. Thank you. Those are pretty easy you can do. You can do internet search, boom, everybody has a printer. If you don't have a printer, I'm sure you can go to the local library and print out whatever you need to print out. No? Okay. I, I don't even know what to say to that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> most people have printers at work if they don't have printers at home. Yeah. Um, most people have printers at home. So. I mean, you never Anyway, know. another thing, another one is music. Well, yes. I, I was have. in, I played in um, this game at Celesticon where it was a Doctor Who game oh. and he used music. Really? Doctor Who music and different different kinds of sound effects. Settings. Setting music. Oh. And I know that Well that was on my list, but that was further down. We can still talk about it. Yeah, I can jump to it. So music okay. the only thing problem with music that I find I've never used music even though I thought uh, or sound effects. Like I would love to do like uh, sound effects like in my Star Trek game, phasers, phew, phew, you know, or the transporter, whatever noise the transporter makes, you know, and or the, the zooming by of the ship, whoosh, right, that kind of stuff. But that takes a lot of work. You would have to set right. it up, right? Right. And, and, and remember to use it. Yes, and it could be a little bit distracting for the GM. So how did he do it? It was Michael, right? He just uh, had, it on, his he had it on his computer. Yeah, so he just pushed a button and pew, yeah. He had like whatever, yeah, setting, setting ready to go. So I've never tried it. I've never taken a laptop. I know that your computer. your brother has done that too. Used music. He always says music, like w- Western music. 
Oh, yes. He's done that in our online games. But sometimes it can be a little bit distracting because if you don't have the sound right, it could be like really blaring on somebody's computer and not and really light on another. But at an actual table where you can hear your music and everybody hears it the same thing at the same level, then, yeah, you could just have it like really in the background. Yeah. Uh, one thing that, that I've heard and I have saw was Shannon, right? He put on this big game and he actually had a DJ, like a, not a real DJ. Well, I don't know. He had a... a, a co-GM who all he did was sound effects and music. That's so cool. He talked to him and they planned out the you know with this scene I want this kind of music and so so he said it went it went pretty well. I remember I I kind of stepped in and I, you know and it was really neat because the guy was like was like on on top of it when everything you know the, the, they were going to fight, you know, like you know, it was right. it was a uh, I think it was medieval dark fantasy what is it? Call of Cthulhu. Call of Dark Ages, right? Yeah. So, so whenever there was like you know those ominous music, right? Right, right, right. And then all of a sudden, you know, like the monster comes out, right? And it was really neat. And then, and then he goes, "What are you gonna do? Okay, I'm gonna take out my sword and attack." And and then you hear the clashes of swords, ching ching. I'm like, "Hey, that's pretty cool." But he wasn't doing it, right? He had this other guy who, you know, right. Was, so he wouldn't be distracted, right? That's and really I, hard to to do. Right. I mean, sorry. Um. Another so game music that music can be really, really get you in the mood. And not only music, but remember the and I, I hate to be a fangirl, but that Star Trek game that we played in at um, at Pacificon last year with yes. the they had an actual screen where oh, yes. the guy went behind it and was talking like it was <laughs> like the screen of the Enterprise, <laughs> and it was so cool. Well, they had a projector. It was they- so cool that I was like, yes, it was. I was so it was giddy. It was a giddy moment because. I was playing in a, in a role-playing game, and they had taken the time not only to, you know, have a Star Trek uniform on, but to but to create this thing where when you were talking, communicating with someone, it was actually, like, on Star Trek. Yes, because you would talk to this. Well, they had a projector. Yes. And then they had, like, a little uh, a booth that they made out of cloth. And, and so the person who, who was dressed as a commander, like a general, I don't know what they would call it, admiral, he would go into this part you know this booth that they made and he would record it into his camera into, into his this phone, phone right and it was transmitted wi-fi to the projector and they would project it onto this big wall so it was like if you were at the on the what do you call it the bridge of the of the, of the, of the starship and you would talk to the to the wall and he would answer back to you, like, you know, what our mission was. And he goes, remember the prime director? Well, I, don't remember, I don't remember what they were talking about, what we asked him. But he was basically saying, you know, do your job and make sure you do it right. And when we asked for help, he goes, no, help's going to come. You're too far away. <laughs> and it was really neat because he was wearing, like, a, a red red starship uniform, you know, and a, a T-shirt or shirt or whatever. And it was really neat. I thought it was amazing. Now, I'm it was sh- it was funny too. There were a little bit of technical difficulties. Always, always. It was because you know when you're running a game at a convention, there's always going to be something that's that's right. not going to work out just right. But it was so cool, just the the idea that they actually did it. Yes, that 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 really is it. And they had the the room set up like a bridge too, where yes. people were sitting in different places for that part of it, right? Right. Which it was very cool. The idea. So when Saul talks about immersion, now I can kind of understand what he's talking that about. That definitely immer- immersed immer- uh, immersed you in the in the Star Trek. The story. atmosphere, right? Because they had and they, they had, had music and they had music, too. and then they had like the 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 plans of the ship, yes. right? So and then they you know 
the only problem was there wasn't enough players, right? So we had to double up on players. But if we had had a full complement of players, it would have been fantastic. In fact, I believe they ran it at Kubicon because we ran into the, the two people. It was a two, two GM ran, yeah, game, yeah. right? Two, they, two people ran it, and I and I talked to the to one. Of, well, I think I talked to both of them, and I was and I was really happy for them because I go, you know what? You guys did such a great job at Pacificon. We were just it was just a letdown that there wasn't enough people to play in your game and. And he, and and he said that it went. They both said it went really well at at Kublicon. They had their full eight player game, and well, we still had fun at Pacificon even without enough players yes. because the the two people played with us, right? Yes. They, and it was it was it was a a hybrid game of of battle stations yes. and something else. And it was, but it was really cool. It was very cool. It was really neat. And not only not only did they have that, they had the battle stations thing out, but they had on another table when we beamed down to the planet, yes. they actually had like a whole motif of a, of a ruined city. I believe it was Vulcan that we oh, were on. Oh, yes. So yes, that's it was, right. It was totally cool. And yes. as a, as a fangirl, you know, <laughs> I was very happy. The problem with anything technical or electronic is gremlins it's well <laughs> the problem usually at a hotel convention setting the problem is you don't know what you're gonna get there if they have free wi-fi it usually sucks so use your data so well and then and then if you're in a big building your you might not be able to connection usually it. sucks too in this case i think the problem they had was that they're they were on they were using Wi-Fi. They were also using a computer or a tablet. A tablet, yes. So like Michael ran that Doctor Who game, he just brought his computer. Yeah, his laptop. And he didn't it wasn't It was just pre programmed yeah. with the sound. Yeah. It was like a soundboard, right? Yeah, and I think there was a, a video too or oh, really? or mu- not or someone telling us the scenario or something like that. Oh. I don't remember. It's been a few years and but it was really cool. Yeah. Okay, I, I remember. Of course, it was a Doctor Who game, so there was actually a girl dressed up like that. Doctor Who that oh, was yes, so exciting. Yes. It was it was the first time I played in a genre game, so like that, it was very interesting. People were very excited. Another thing you do is props are things that you hand out. For me, I've done I've done a lot of uh, when I ran my Tecmo game, I had a ton of envelopes that I I hand written, I hand wrote with my calligraphy pens using the. Ink, special ink that I got him. Special ink. Different colors. Different colors. And then and the then paper was kind of like this rough paper. It wasn't like binder paper. It was just what, what probably like would be like. A, it's like sketch paper, but sketch it's paper. more like it looked kind of old. Kind of old and rough looking. And then. Uh, you also sealed it I with s- wax, right. which I burned my thumb with. Cause yeah, I know, because that sealing wax is really hot. Yes. It's more like plastic than. It's more plastic. It was wax. No, it was wax. Well, it's, it's wax, but it's like, it's not like candle wax. Yeah. No. It was just thicker. Well, it stunk like crazy. So yeah. anyway, so I did all these envelopes, and people were ripping them apart and 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 and, and well, getting some information. Of them did them really nicely because yes. they saw the wax seal and yes. thought it was really cool. Yes, I had a lot of fun making that. It was a lot of work, but it was really rewarding because it really immersed them in in the whole game because the game is a lot of intrigue, courtly intrigue, and and subterfuge. They immediately open this letter, and it tells them it tells them. A little bit more information about their character, and uh, they each had a secret, right? And then at the very end, they had a question that they would answer yes or no. And depending on what they answered, I gave them an envelope corresponding with that yes or no answer, and which gave them either more information, well, basically gave them more information, depending on what, what which way they went, which way they went. And so that was really neat. And so by the time the game started, they were like ready, right? This the game was on. 
We did another one where in the big game that we did. Oh, yes. We made these notes to hand out to everybody yes. whenever they switched places, which didn't work out exactly like we thought because some people didn't want to share the information with yes, us, with other weird. people. It was an immersion thing, right? Because you, I, I would say, because you're giving them information as they as yes. they move around. But we had you to, never know exactly yes. what's going to happen when you, when you do these things. So prompts can be really simple. In my Dresden Files game, somebody had left a note that they were a letter that they had written to Superior but it was never mailed so they found it and it opened it and I actually just gave them a letter they're like oh so they opened it like, and then it was like I made up some letterhead that I made up on using I don't know what I, some publishing thing and it had the name of the company and like and I, you know, and of course I typed it out. I mean, it was. You typed. can do that on Google Docs. Yes, and then I, and then I, I made some fake uh, a signature, mm-hmm. right? They were like, oh, so this never gonna. And then they were like, why didn't they? See, why didn't this guy send this letter and all this other stuff? Well, so, not only that, but I was just thinking that if it's your home game, and even if it's just your nor- the normal people you play with, and yes. you, you don't always put a lot of a lot of time and effort into it. Yes. All I do is hand them a note. Yes. And it totally changes the whole everybody's intrigued by what's in the note, right? Yeah, so that, that letter was in uh, in Tales of the Loop. And in Dresden Files, I would do the same thing. They, he did these autopsy reports, which was hilarious. Because oh, yes, he yes. goes out, he actually went on to the, onto some, was it Monterey County? Well, no, what happened was I was looking for autopsy reports because I've heard them. And I actually went to Call Cthulhu oh. website. And, or a, a Call Cthulhu, web, not official call to the website but somebody who has their own website and they are like they have all this stuff right and one of them was a optop but the optops report was like 1940s so i'm like oh so i i had to erase the, the date i transposed the Murray county right, logo right. onto it and it looked pretty cool and i came up with my own notes and this and that and and so when the so when they're going, so what does the autopsy report say? And so I just handed them a bunch of papers. They're like, oh, my God, what's this? And so like, they, actually, they go, I actually have to read this and interpret it, right? So then a lot of th- on purpose, I wrote really badly, right, like terrible handwriting, which is pretty much my normal handwriting. But I made it a little bit worse. And they're like, I can't even read this. What does it say? And they would, they would look at me. I'm like, oh, I don't know. That's what you see. And they're like, that's not fair. You know? <laughs> so that was pretty cool. And uh, and. Yeah, and that stuff like that, just you know, people just really players really like it because it's really interesting. Everybody likes to get a note, right? And then I was gonna say that in my other Dresden Files game, they came across a dead body, right, of a homeless person, and so they were searching through his like backpack or his bag, and they came across his like diary, and his diary I had written on different scraps of pieces of paper. This is slowly descended to mad. He wasn't really crazy. It was just. He was actually seeing ghosts, right? So at first he's like talking about how rough it is, about his Vietnam days and this and that. And then slowly he talks about people missing. And then he talks about the lady in white, right? And all this other stuff. Well, speaking of the lady in white. Lady in white? Yes, exactly. And all kinds of other things. And they're like, and, but it was like, at first it was like a yellow pad paper. And then I had a piece of like, like a torn piece of blank paper and then binder paper because this guy is finding paper every once in a while when it, when i handed him the notes and then i crunched them right because i'm you know because they were in this bag and so i crunched them and then i straightened them out and try to fold them down and then <laughs> put like coffee stains on them and all this kind of stuff and they're like oh and then one of them was like really thick paper like the thicker sketch paper with no lines and i had made it kind of damp because all i did was like put water on it and i just kind of and then what happened was when they opened it, it was like damp. And so it, it was hard to read because the ink had run to the both sides. And they're like, oh, what does it say? I'm like, yeah, I can't tell either. <laughs> <laughs> 
So that was really cool. Those are easy things you can do to really, you know, get your players in the game. You know, their headspace is in their game. They're paying attention, and they kind of feel like they are investigating when they, when they find a note and instead of saying tell them what the note says or the letter says you actually hand them a letter a physical letter you could see those players fighting over give me what that tell me what that thing says well and another thing is just maps if you give them a map it doesn't matter if it's a handwritten map or map that you printed out right people love looking at maps right and it brings a an aspect to the game of because you're traveling right or you're going somewhere and and when you get to see a map like especially if it's a a secret map or a map. Well, it's of, a prop, right? right. It's something you can give the players and they can actually hold in their hands. And I think if you could give something the players can hold in their hands, like if it's a piece of evidence, it's a map, it is something they find. Right. When you see the players fight over the, the envelope, oh, let me read that. Give me that. And they're like, hold on. I'm still finished reading that. So that's pretty cool. That- and that's not even counting the, the figures and terrain and your mat that you draw stuff on, right? Correct. Those are just normal props that people kind of expect when you're playing a game, right? Unless it's all theater of the mind, then yeah, yeah. to each his own. I right? think you're right. As long, yeah, as long as you're not playing theater of the mind, then, then that can really you know help you get your players in the mood or in this, I don't know what you call it, the headspace of the room. Whatever, whatever you're trying to invoke, right? Maybe because we've been playing with the kids since they were little. They love figures. They love when Saul brings out a, yes. a, a, a monster. And then they, there's a conversation about, is this actual size? Is it blah, blah, blah? And all kind of, what does it really look like? And that kind of stuff. So it all it brings out the, and that's just, that's just a normal figure, right? Yes. Yeah. Figures can be really fun. And depending on how, how you use them, you know, I think uh, they, you know, if you have a correct figure for the monster you're fighting, that's pretty cool. And if you don't, you and just. If you don't, you just, oh, this is, this is just a stand in. But still, you know, for me, that, that really uh, figures help me help the players figure out distances and spatial awareness. Right. I haven't thought about it until you mentioned it today is that, you know, immersion, you know, is. Like if you're running a Star Trek game, put on a Star. If you, you know, if you're a fan and you already have one, supposedly, you put on like a, a Star Trek shirt or a. You know, a jacket. Well, you said that you had people show up to your Star Trek game in uniform. Yes, in uniform. It was pretty funny. I have this T-shirt that Jolene bought me, and it's a it's a red shirt that has different uh, has a uh, in cartoon kind of standing a blue guy in yellow and red, and the one in red has a whole laser hole smoking that you know. <laughs> out of his chest and it's red right so it's kind of funny and so i you know if i run star trek adventure i will wear that shirt even though it's not like a star trek garb but it is a star trek you know shirt you know and so people go yeah everybody laughs at that shirt you could dress up in the period of or in the you know yeah in a period of whatever genre you're we playing. may we may be moving into larps if you say that well yeah i mean i'm i'm, I'm just saying just sit down i'm not saying you know stand no, up no, and start I understand. acting but yes but i did have a couple people in and a couple times in my star trek game they showed up in in the shirts you know, right. like the gold shirt and then somebody had a red shirt and it was pretty neat you know lighting is real tough because you know, usually this has to do with spooky games, right? Okay. Horror games. All I got to say is if you turn down the lighting, you can't see your character, you can't see your character <laughs> sheet. Right, right. No, and that, or that, the dice. Or if you if you don't have dice, whatever. Right. I, I don't Definitely people who run, uh, what is it, horror games, Call of Cthulhu, they, li- they like messing with the lighting because if it's darkened, it kind of gets it more spooky. But in at home, you can easily do this, right? Uh, of course, 
it does make it hard to see your character sheet. I was just going to say that I should have grabbed your phone and taken a picture of the lady in white rock walking down the street. There you go. Because you could have put that with a game, right? <laughs> Real life examples. Uh, yes. This is young girl walking down the middle of the street. Okay, so. Oh, pictures. I hadn't thought about pictures from the internet like to pass out oh, things. And one of the things that I always do when I run a kid's game yes, right. is I always take the the pictures they have in the monster manual yes. and I, I print them out in color and put them on, on either a sheet a, or a in card a little, stock. usually cardstock, yeah. so that it's easy to take out and, and stand up, right? Right. So that they can see it. And kids love yes. that. They love looking at it, touching it, and going, of course, if there's girls, they're going to fall in love with the cute little monsters <laughs> and, and want to make friends. The so. dragons, yes. I thought about that. You're right. Pictures of, of the enemy or whatever you're encountering. That really... Like, and if whoa. you give a, a non-player character a photo or you put some time and effort yes. into into it, it does actually bring it more to yeah. life for players. Yeah, because you don't have to describe somebody. You just show them a picture. This is who you see. This is what you see. This is what the building looks like. And that's what I did in Dresden Files quite a bit. I like uh, I, I showed them uh, pictures of Dennis Domenis Park. I showed them where the death happened. It was this tree right here. And then I, I gave them the different angles of the tree. And they're like, whoa. It was, it was like, it was like, it was weird because uh, I don't know how I took the pictures. It, it was. Uh, we either went there or like we were there. off the. Yeah, yeah. I, I went there. Or I got them off uh, Google. Google uh, Google Earth. Google Earth where you can actually see the different, uh, the street level. So that worked really well. Anyway, so that you know, obviously, anything that that will help your characters, your play characters, your players really get into the game, makes it even better because it, I think that, ex that experience where everybody is in the game is like whether it's Star Trek, Dresden Files, space opera, anything, or just your run of the mill weekly game. Weekly game. If I you want to shock your players and bring them in to immerse, immerse. I can't say the word. Immersion. <laughs> immersion. If you want to bring them more into the game. And they're not expecting it. Pass yes. out notes, make pictures when right. they walk into your house. They might not know what to do, but at least it'll be an interesting experience. And like I said, these are all easy things you can do. This is real, you know, simple. They may take a little bit of time. It all depends on how how much you want to invest in this particular game. For me, con games, I like to go a little bit extra because, you know, I like to. Make it different than your simple, you know, game at home where everybody, you know, maybe sit around a table. There's no decorations and stuff like that. There's no nothing special. But con games for me, you know, you're putting on a show. You're trying to entertain people. I mean, I'm trying to entertain people at home, but it's just to me, it's a little different. And so I might go a little bit extra, do a bit extra. And then, you know, my weekly games or other week games, you know, sometimes it's kind of hard to catch up with. Yeah. With you know, with everything they're doing. That's true. That's true. So those are just some ideas. Some simple, cheap ideas that you can do to make your game more immerse in the setting. I don't know if that's an actual word. <laughs> I try to make my I have my own lexicon, honey. So whatever you say, babe. So this is gaming perspectives with Saul and Jolene. And you have a great day. Mm -hmm.